2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. he looks get better
1: Now I'm Mike Dean and I'm here to say the fans pay to see me every Saturday. I'm box office magic when I'm making the calls, wave my hands, shake my head, I can do it all. Hey, Callum Chambers, I don't mean you any harm, but to play defense for me, you're gonna need to lose those arms. Had the same call to make early in the season, denied the penalty, I don't need a reason. Fans screaming out my name, I am feeling flattered, wave away the penalty when Welbeck gets clattered. All the attention's on me, what the heck? Get the full-time whistle, flash the yellow card to check. When Spurs score a goal, I like to join the celebration. This is what you call dishonest to your federation. Crazy ball cutting, my decisions are odd. And let the crew break it down on the post-match pod. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is DJ Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, Uh and you can also block my SoundCloud, SoundCloud account. No, I'm kidding. I don't have one of those. Um, we won't be doing any more of that, I assure you, but we will be discussing uh, the content that is Mike Dean, the decision that changed the game, uh, and Tim's fervent demand for the video uh, assistant referee to come into the game uh, post-haste. Uh, and as that gives away, uh, Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there, Paul's here. He's on Twitter at in my pants. <clears throat> Hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive is with family. I'm doing air quotes right there. Uh, Scott is also with family. Thankfully, none of us are saddled or burdened with that kind of thing. Um, I do want to wish you both and uh, our erstwhile pod members and uh, you, dear listener, a very happy new year. Uh, Tim, Aww. good new year for you.
3: Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Very nice, thank you. Good,
2: Paul. No, not really. It was very quiet and mostly was on Twitter arguing about Mike Dean. Thank you. (laughs) Fair enough.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, didn't do the lampshade on the head, and there aren't pictures floating around the Internet of me with pants off and all kinds of crazy shit happening. So I guess that's a win in a way. Uh, Hopefully winning will be something that we do in 2018. Uh, We'll get to a little bit of what we expect for 2018, what we expect for the transfer window. I think we have to discuss that now so we can get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Clicks, uh, downloads, those things, yep. Uh, But first we will start with the end, I think. Uh, Be silly to go anywhere else because it is the main talking point. We might as well get it out of the way early. And Mike Dean, um, who is not a fan favorite among uh, the Arsenal diaspora, I would say, made the call that changed the game. He then did not make the calls that could have changed it back, which we can get to as well. Um, Tim, the first thing I want to address here is it's clearly the wrong call. You think that. Mm. I yep. think that. Paul thinks that. Most of the punditocracy out there thinks that. So I don't think the question is whether it's the wrong call. I think there is a a belief floating around in some corners that this – is the product of bias, of conspiracy, of an anti-Arsenal sentiment. Um, are you of the opinion that Mike Dean just botched it or that Mike Dean uh, in in some way intended and intends to punish Arsenal?
3: I, th- I think he just botched it. I mean, there's there's just no um, objective evidence to suggest otherwise, basically. And um, by the way, Mike Dean isn't popular with a lot of sets of fans, Um and to be honest, <clears throat> it, it's not difficult to see why. He seems to have quite an abrasive, and it has to be said, annoying manner with, with players and managers. And, you know, the, the way he's talking to Arsene Wenger. Um, I, I think in, in many respects, I was more annoyed about um, the treatment of Petr Cech than the actual decision. Because Petr Cech, uh, sometimes, right, I mean, referees are kind of told not to take players' reputations into account. Um, which I actually think they should quite a lot of the time. And Petr Cech has been in the Premier League for 13 or 14 years now. He does not argue with referees habitually. He is not a guy um, who, you know, gets in referees' faces. And he played for, like, Mourinho's Chelsea. And he played alongside John Terry for a long time. So, you know, the, uh, the influence to do so was there um, for a large section of his career. And he doesn't and has never done that. And um, <clears throat> for Mike Dean, I think to talk to Gareth Barry about dissent twice during the game and not to book him and then to very haughtily and dismissively book Petr Cech at the end, in many respects that annoyed me more than the decision itself, because the, deci- the, the decision clearly is an error, um, albeit handball is quite subjective. And the only thing you could say in his defence is that the ball does hit Callum Chambers' hand. So then after that, it's left to the referee to judge intent um, and how natural or unnatural the body position is. And I don't think anyone honestly believes there was any intent or that Callum Chambers arm was in an unnatural position. Um, but it's it's still nevertheless that is subjective. Um, we don't only Callum Chambers really knows that mm-hmm. we can all have a very, very good guess at it. Um, and I think there's quite a lot of collusion, like you say, not just from Arsenal fans, but you know, I, I kind of get that it was it was a mistake. I think it's a really bad call.
1: I, I think um, people are also up in arms, so to speak, uh, over the fact that there yeah. was a similar call in a game with us, where we appealed for a handball that was arguably yeah. more of a handball. The hand was in a more unnatural position, although the proximity was quite close. Similarly, and he he didn't award that one.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm less I'm less kind of upset about that because I think people underestimate. I know it sounds like um, a hoary old cliche, but how uh, people underestimate how quickly the game actually moves. Um, and I think sometimes being in the stadium can give you a good perspective on these things because you don't really know about them at the time. Um, I felt, so when the penalty happened, it was down the other end to me, but I was quite high up and I was absolutely in line. So I actually did have quite a good view, even though I was a long way away. And I, I felt immediately, I thought, oh, that's that looks harsh to me. Um, and I didn't actually think he was going to blow up for it. <clears throat> and I was quite surprised when he did. But the Leicester one, I mean, the speed that that happened, I was, again, I was in the stadium and I had a really good view of that. And I, I don't even remember it. Um, I, I, I really think that um, people underestimate that kind of thing. Can, can I ask you a question then? when we get lots of replays and things. I think that, like, if you look on your Twitter timeline when any game happens... Most people do not react to a decision favorably or otherwise until they've seen a replay. Watch it in real time the next time you're watching like a game, and everyone on Twitter is watching it. Always, always look for that when something happens. Everybody waits for the replay before they then go mad, which which tells you something. Fair enough. Um,
1: I, what yeah. I was going to just ask you is, I mean, because one thing I notice about uh, Dean is he's very quick to make decisions, and one thing you'll see mm. some really good referees do is actually be slow to make a call. They'll take a beat. They'll process what they just saw. They'll they'll <clears throat> let the heat of the moment just pass enough to make the decision in sort of a cold analytical way. And if Dean takes that beat and he sees Gibbs asking for a corner and he doesn't see a huge shout for it from the West Brom players and he gets a moment to kind of process what he sees, maybe he doesn't blow for it, but he does it so quickly. He takes the decision so quickly that it's almost like he doesn't have the time for his brain, however limited it may be, to process the information.
3: I I actually thought, I, again, I, I I've not really I've, I've seen like the the slow mo gif back, but um, I, I remember at the time I thought he did take a couple of seconds. Maybe that's maybe I'm misremembering um, it. Yep. Yeah, well, maybe I am um, as well. I, I actually thought he did because immediately I thought, oh, that's going to be a corner. May, and, maybe um,
2: you're both misremembering <laughs> it.
3: Maybe, maybe maybe it never happened. Maybe. Are we sure yeah. that he awarded a penalty?
2: <laughs> can, can someone
1: check that?
3: Uh, maybe well, it was a collective hallucination.
1: Well, let's let Paul in here just for a second. then. Cause, cause Paul, uh, who well, me? I mean, I I'm reluctant, but we might as well. Yeah. Um. So I guess the the question first of all is, can you do? I mean, I assume you agree that there you don't believe there's bias here, or are you going to take a, a an opposing view?
2: No, no, uh, I agree. There's no, there's no bias. No, but or, just, just in, there's no reason to assume a bias. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The guy's a fool.
1: So at that point, I don't want to have the tedious VAR uh, conversation here because we've had it. Tim doesn't want it in the game. I, I think there are ways you can implement it without destroying the game. Um, I'm not like pounding my chest about this. I just think everybody kind of has an opinion on it. We're going to get to see it uh, in use in some places in the near future, and the Bundesliga, I believe, is using it. So we're we're getting – is that right? The Bundesliga is using it, right? Yep. Yeah, so we're getting a, a little bit of a look at, at how it impacts the game, and it's had some mixed results. I mean, Paul, just really quickly, if you want to avoid these kinds of situations, which would you choose? Better training, preparation, education, qualification for referees, or VAR?
2: I, I think we're fucked either way. I mean, I assume they've been training these guys – Uh, seriously despite arson's comments and i have to say i've no issue with arson's comments be they right or wrong when you put as much as effort into and you might debate this into a game like that and you get screwed over uh, i i'm all for a manager who's a terrible loser god bless him uh, and the the reaction of all the players uh, i'm fully on board with all of that um it's just it's just one of those things where it's like To me, it feels like – a you can't say these things these days because of the politically correct culture, but it feels like a mini-mini-holocaust. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean I feel like that's a terrible thing to say. Sure, (laughs) go
2: ahead. (laughs) In the sense that it's a a gross, gross travesty of justice. I mean it genuinely is, right, to a football supporter. I mean it's such an utter kick in the balls and you just have to take it. It's like your grandmother – kicks you in the balls as hard as you can and the family tells you you're not allowed to hit her back and i think that's why you have the arguments we had on twitter between people who probably mostly agree with each other apart from the corruption thing they probably don't even think it's many of them feel it's corrupt just because there's this incredible injustice and there's no recourse there's no there's no way back you just have to fucking lump it And no, it won't average out over the course of a season. I mean,
1: I I get that. So, well, so, but how do we fix it? I mean, so VAR. Well, Uh, I I guess. Yeah, go
2: for it. Here's my thoughts on VAR is we don't know. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know who has been watching the Bundesliga that closely, but unless you're passionately involved in it, it's one thing to watch it. That's one thing. You won't really know how you feel about it till it's your team. Uh, getting fucked over by VAR or something that VAR didn't address while VAR saved the other team's goal. I mean, I think that it's a whole can of worms that may or may not be better, but it's kind of like it's one of those organic things that you have to try on. And so trying it in the Bundesliga, great. Um, I guess it's in the World Cup, Um they're introducing it in one of the Cups coming up, isn't it? is not it? The Car- is it the Carabao Cup in the next yep. round? Yep. In the yeah, so, the finals, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think that's yeah, all
1: percent. 100%, 100% rule out two goals for us and give a penalty to the other team, and then everybody will be <laughs> saying VAR has to go. <laughs> yeah,
2: so the, uh, and I, there's a lot of truth to that. There will be things it really helps with. I'm convinced Mike Dean would have gone and looked at the screen for this goal and then pronounced to great fanfare that he had been right the first time and drive me quadruply mental Even at worse, the end yeah. of that game. It would have been worse. Um, uh, I do want to add one point on, on Mike Dean, and it's kind of a serious point, mm-hmm. uh, even if it seems like it's just Paul making one of his little jokes. He was an ex-ballroom dancer. And if you can't see that in his performances and the fact that he loves the spotlight and the fact that he has no issue, he was a championship dancer and a champion. Good old Mike Dean. You can see it in everything he does. He's fine with the spotlight. He's fine with the fact that it's him who decided the result. Uh, and instead of having that caution and that instinct of a good referee that says, you know, I'm not 100% sure I got that right, and it's in the last few moments, I'm going to really chew on this, as you kind of said. If he took a second or two seconds, he should have taken five. He could always have gone over and talked to the linesman, if for only the purposes of having a sounding board while he worked out his own mind. Well, on that, it. that
1: was my point about taking a beat. There, you know, it's gone out of play. There's a corner coming up. I mean, you have that time, if you need it, to have a chat, to have a think. And, you know, maybe Tim is right and he took more time than I'm remembering. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, it felt like it happened very quickly. (coughs) You know, I guess, look, Paul. The
2: other thing, you know, his exaggerated uh, movements and all this kind Mm -hmm. of thing. He is very demonstrative, very showy, very artsy. And. Remember the was it the Spurs game a few seasons ago? He takes a little hop as he's looking up in the air. Do you remember that video? Yeah, he celebrates they their goal. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's not what it is. He's just he's a dancer with light feet. Well, I mean, look, I I guess that's better than being John Moss, who
1: needs like a rascal cart to get him up and down the pitch. But
2: yeah, like I, I, I think the serious point is he's way too comfortable with the spotlight and being the reason that a match goes another way. He doesn't have that good referees instinct to say, hang on a second. Uh, let me have a let me swallow hard before I do anything on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if I had to choose between a ref who errs on the side of not making calls and making calls, I'd prefer they err on the side of not making calls because if it's 50 50 and you don't give it, you haven't destroyed the game. If it's 50 50 and you yep. give it, you know, you have. So you, you're going to want to err on the side of caution, but that doesn't mean not enforcing the rules of the game. Tim, I think for me, all I want is consistency. And I think. What these refs lack and what has not been drilled into them enough and where I think their training falls down just from watching them perform is the importance not of getting every single call right because that's not an attainable standard, but making calls that are consistent with how you've made previous calls. Um, I feel that across referees and even with the same referee across games, there's tremendous inconsistency in what is a penalty, what is a handball, what is a red card, what is a yellow card, what is dissent, what is time-wasting, all of these things. And, you know, the the rules of the game are somewhat ambiguous in some ways. I fully understand that. But I think managers, fans, players have to know what to expect, right? So, for example, if what Callum Chambers did is a handball, it's, it's not. But let's say it is. And players know that and fans know that. Then as harsh as it may seem you have to suck it up and and take it, and that's that. And Callum Chambers maybe knows next time, you know, don't have arms if you're defending. You know, maybe that's (laughs) the solution. And the fans know not to totally lose it. But the problem is that there isn't that consistency. I mean, since you're not a fan of VAR... Isn't the goal consistency, and yeah, Paul, just in our, our messaging section here, made the point that in Petr Cech's post-match interview, yeah. he said they have these meetings with the referees, and they talk through what yeah, is yeah. going to be a penalty and what's not going to be a penalty. What is the point of these discussions if there's no consistency in how it's enforced?
3: I, So I think there's um, I, that's definitely what they should strive for, yes, um, but... I think the consistency point is overplayed, and you realise why it's overplayed when you actually read the rules. Um, if you actually sit down and read the rules of football, almost all of them are entirely subjective. Um, <clears throat> you know, even on a handball, you know, it's it's about intent.
1: Okay, and... but can I can I disagree with you just for one second, <clears throat> just real quick? Um, I, I think what I'm saying though is I totally agree. But so let's say I'm a referee. Once I determine how I'm going to rule handballs, I should then communicate that you know, and then I should live to that standard, right? So if that thing that Calvin yeah. Chambers did is a handball for me, then I should call that a handball every time I see it. if it's not, I shouldn't that's yeah it, I mean as a referee, you get to interpret the rules, but you shouldn't interpret them differently from match to match and moment to moment
3: but I think um so I, th- I think the the issue here is that that's actually that's a lot harder than it sounds because of the speed of the game and things like that. And I think in this scenario, honestly, I think when Mike Dean watches that back, he'll think, yeah, I got that wrong. Um, and he'll know it. So, Do you think I he think... was
1: saying, I'm sorry to Arsene Wenger when he was no, lecturing it, him? Look, or do you think it, he was like, I'm sorry, I'm talking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm talking.
3: He kept saying I'm talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when he watches that back, I don't honestly think he, he'll think it is a penalty. Um, and so, therefore, with the kind of consistency thing, I think the thing is he thinks he saw something that he didn't actually see, which was he thought that Chambers moved his hand towards the ball, but he didn't. In fact, he was trying to move it away. Well, it was a natural movement, and if anything, he was trying to move it away. But he saw that as Chambers moving towards the ball. So I, d- I don't. Th- so I think he'll know that he's made a mistake. And in terms of the consistent application. It's, it's that that's definitely what they should strive for but at the same time it's so subjective again just look at your Twitter timeline whenever there's a contentious decision there'll be so much debate over it so in many ways it's not possible um, anyway and particularly with the speed of the game and things like that so um, that that would be kind of nice but that that's just never how football has been um, the rules have always been open to interpretation um, and honestly I think, that can make things a bit frustrating at the same time I really really think um and and it's kind of a forlorn hope I don't think it'll ever happen now, but I really think that in a lot of cases, perhaps not this one I think there's a real justifiable annoyance, but in a lot of cases, fans just have to be a little bit more mature about that um but what one of the interesting i I really recommend a thread um uh, by a friend of mine on Twitter today uh he's His username is at Grown. He he put together a really good, really well thought out thread on this. And actually, he was quite critical. Yeah, he was very critical of Dean, actually, for the same reasons Paul has been um, about, you know, looking to involve himself in the game and things like that. But he made a lot of other kind of wider points about this. And I'd I'd really point people to that because it's kind of critical, but it's fair.
2: So, so it was like my points, but much, much better.
3: More, just and more, more articulate. <laughs> just more
1: articulate, Paul. Which I think you'd have to expect. Right. Look, look, I don't want to go too much further on this, but then, yeah, l- let's finish with this. And by the way, one thing that I thought was interesting, I think the commentators made the point in the match that Dean hasn't actually given away many penalties or or uh, called many penalties. This season, mm. so it works a little bit against the narrative of him wanting to be involved. Although I think just his mannerisms show that he wants the attention on him and wants Saved to be involved it for us.
0: Though,
2: so and,
1: and that's you, good. Yeah, but you know what, yeah. guys? Like, here's the funny thing. I think the reason there's so much outrage, ironically, we're killing referees today over. You know, I don't mean us. I mean the Twitter Twitterati and all that over mm. the poor performance. But in reality, I think the reason for the outrage is that this call rarely gets made wrong. I mean, how many times do you see Hmm. a ball kicked right into someone's hand from close range get called a penalty? It's almost never given. So there is a lot of consistency in this call.
3: Yeah, yeah. Referees are usually very cautious, um, if anything, about about giving these types of calls. And that's precisely because they know. So I thought um, the recent interview with Mark Clattenburg was very instructive and people were very critical um, about him, about what he said. And I, I think with some justification, but what he was basically saying was it's it's so difficult now because you get absolutely killed and it's, it's become so hysterical and so bad that it's changing the way referees referee the game because they're so afraid of being blamed for everything. And um, the, the thing I was going to come to very quickly, I had a conversation with uh, the, the guy at the Beautiful Grown account about um, you know referees having the opportunity to come out and explain their decisions if they want to. I think they should be given the choice if they want to do that. I know Howard Webb said recently, I, I listened to an interview with him and he spoke about the 2010 World Cup final, he got really criticised for not sending off, um, in particular, Nigel De Jong, and he said in this interview, the problem was I couldn't see it, I didn't see it properly, because like, De Jong had his back to the situation, he said if I'd seen it from the angle that the cameras get, I'd have definitely sent him off, and he said I really wanted to come out and explain that to people, I found it so frustrating, and um, and and I think there could be. I understand why some refs don't want to do it, which is why I think it should be up to them. But I think, like some, like BT have tried to go down this road where they have referees in the studio, um, which I think is a positive step. But I think in a lot of cases the analysis is a bit blunt because these referees are recently retired and they have loyalties. And they end. It ends up just making the analysis a bit wishy-washy. But I really think there should be more of an attempt to explain the referee's position. And if referees are willing to and want to do that themselves, I think they should be able to.
1: Yeah, you know what sometimes happens in American sports leagues, and maybe this is, I think it might be in the NFL, or I'm I'm not sure, but uh, they will sometimes not have the referee himself come out and say, mm. but the league will come out and say, we acknowledge that in this case the laws were applied applied improperly and the call was wrong you know mm. and basically saying this is not how that call is supposed to be made the call was yeah, wrong yeah. basically we're sorry you got screwed but you did that can be helpful only in suggesting that like yes we acknowledge that's not handball we acknowledge that's not how handball should be enforced mike dean made an yeah. error we all move on together i think the problem with um having having the the individual referee come out is it just puts them more into the spotlight, which is the last thing we want, right? I mean, we want these yeah. guys to be a lot more anonymous, and the more they start explaining it, the more we want them explaining more and doing more interviews and yeah, yeah. going yeah. deeper down that that rabbit hole. So I just think it's best avoided. Um, look, we put 20 minutes into the refereeing, which is more than I had hoped to do. It is such an important moment in the game that I understand why we've done it. But we have a lot to get to in terms of how we played, uh, the January transfer window. So let's just try to uh, move on from this. And I guess, Paul, the, the question then related to the call is how fair is it to absolve the team from criticism for the performance by virtue of being screwed on the call?
2: Um, so I, I, I think we've got to take a step even further back from that. I mean, obviously, we didn't play great. Um, The reaction at the time was we were absolutely terrible. Um, I think the truth is somewhere between we were average and terrible, but it's the third game of a fourth game run over Christmas. And sometimes I think some people must be new to this. Uh, A lot of teams have played kind of average in their, their kind of third game of the Christmas run. At this point, the only thing that matters over this run is getting points, and we got screwed out of points. So, you know, there's plenty of criticism to be handed around about tactics and performances, etc. But this is a classic for this game at this point point of the year. The one thing I'd say against that is we should be fairly fresh, given how we've protected ourselves up to this point. We should be the team... The plan was we'd come through the Christmas period looking a little fresher than the others, having that advantage. Um, And we were, uh, on the other hand, West Brom were relatively rested. So it's just very hard to pick through all of that. Obviously, it wasn't a great performance. Obviously, tactically, however we set up, we could have made some changes during it, especially the Kalasinach opportunity allowed us to do something different. So... Back to your primary point, does the penalty absolve us? I actually think it kind of does because you can't say "Well, oh, we're blowing the whistle at 80 minutes or 80 and a couple and that's the result. Uh, w- we were getting stronger as the game went on and maybe we'd have gotten beaten in the last two minutes by uh, by the, the the hulking masses of West Brom coming up for a corner and burying it or some shit like that, but As the game went on, we got stronger towards the end, and you just can't rule off the last eight minutes or whatever would have been and say, well, you know, we don't know what would have happened, so let's assume we were going to be crap. Leading up to that, we weren't particularly good, but this was kind of, this was go time. When Danny Welbeck scored that header against Leicester, whatever it was last season, in the final moments, and we won that game, it changed the whole complexion of the game. Uh, and should have changed her, the court trajectory of our season, but it didn't. And and that was robbed from us, and yeah. we won't know.
1: Well, I, you, you're going to be surprised, but I kind of agree with you, Paul, actually that it absolves us. Not in the sense that we shouldn't analyze why we played poorly and sure. what should be done better, and not to suggest that we don't need to play better in the future. But if you're saying that you can't blame the penalty for dropping points, then what you're really saying is you have to be 2-0 up in every game where you haven't done your job. And that's just yeah, not realistic.
2: By, by 80 right? minutes or whatever Yeah, by it 80 is. minutes. Yeah.
1: If you're not 2-0 up, you haven't done your job. Now, sure, we played poorly, but let me say it this way. What if we had played breathtaking, swashbuckling football, gotten a 1-0 lead, and then it happened? Would we yeah. have been screwed then? The fact is, when you're leading 1-0, goal, you know, no matter how well you play or how poorly you play, the hardest thing in football is to score a goal. Right? Um, and that's why... Teams, bad teams can beat good teams because occasionally they get a goal and they steal points that way. In fact, that literally just happened to us. So while I'm not saying it's okay to play the way we did, and I'm not saying we shouldn't analyze it and that we don't need to do better, you shouldn't have to be up 2-0 to say you did your job. We did our job. We managed to get ourselves in front. They didn't look like creating anything. We were doing okay. And Mike Dean handed them a goal they didn't deserve. And then, I mean, to really be fair about it, He denied us a a penalty shout or two that we did deserve. You know, the one thing I would say about Dean here, not to get back on him, but is you make that handball call and there had to be something inside him that says that was a close one. I may have gotten that wrong and just gifted points to West Brom. Well, when Danny Welbeck gets clattered in the area, like you have a chance to make it right. Not that I'm saying you should even things up, but you know what? You should even things up. You give a 50-50 call to them, give a 50-50 call to us. And I think it was a little more than 50-50. So, Tim, I mean, for you, is it the responsibility of the team to just play better and put it out of the hands of the referees, or is that not a realistic expectation?
3: I think think it's probably somewhere in between. I think the thing about this, I I completely take the point that a lot of teams are playing like this at this time of year, and I think you're absolutely right that it, it is the part of the season where you just want to get the points on the board. Um, I think the counter to that is, A, this just looked like um, about 10 away games that I could reel off. It looked like Southampton, it looked like Burnley, it just looked like Arsenal, completely lacked imagination, lacked creativity. It looked like slow, sideways passing, and let's just hope Alexis or Ozil um, can do something to get us out of it. And, uh, and so in isolation, I, I think Paul, Paul's point is very well made, but it depends how far you bring... Um, kind of recent history into it. I think the other thing is, what happens with a lot of teams in our area of the league at this point is they put in odd performances at this time, usually because their team selection's a bit disjointed. And uh, Liverpool today, you know, made five or six changes. Um, they still just about did enough to win the game, but they rotated heavily. Arsenal is not has not rotated whatsoever, even with this Chelsea game on the horizon. And we've got we've got some you know some decent squad players who who could have done a job in this period, like Welbeck, like Elneny, like Cochalan, like Rob Rob Holding.
1: Well, and there's Walcott, who, which we'll come to. Cause walk, there yeah, may be more Walcott. there may be more to that decision.
3: Indeed, and none of them have been anywhere near it. He's you know. He's really he's gone for Koscielny, um for all of these games when we know he's managing an issue and we know he's without you know someone like Monreal as well, and he took that risk. And Xhaka went off against Crystal Palace um, with a knock and he still played when we had other midfield options. Jack Wilshere, you know, hasn't been seen. I, I think Jack Wilshere's fitness has been managed really well to this point, but now all of a sudden he's playing. 90. It's gone from one extreme to the other. When we've got serviceable midfielders who could come in and do a job, um, you know, for, for either one of those players, um, it, it's not like Granite Xhaka is, you know, this hugely consistent, impressive force of nature that we can't afford to drop. I understand one way to why. <laughs> I, I understand why Alexis Sanchez hasn't been rotated in this period, but Granite Xhaka is not, you know, is not significantly, um, you know, outperforming. To, to performing to the point that I couldn't see the sense in like just dropping El in there for Crystal Palace away, and um, yeah, there's just a real inconsistency as well because against Palace, I, I thought we looked really good going forward and we looked dangerous again. And Palace aren't bad defensively, um, particularly at home at the moment, but we we dominated them, you know, particularly in that first half. We just we no
0: you know, some we of the best like we played we in a long time. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then this game. It just looked exactly like the Southampton game to me. It was just slow, it was ponderous, it was side-to-side.
1: Well, why do you think, I mean, let's come down to it. I mean, putting fatigue aside, I I mean, and let me ask you a quick question, Tim. Um, Do you think Ozil was rotated and that this is sort of Arsene Wenger's typical thing that he just won't admit when he's rotating, or do you think he has any injury?
3: um, I think we'll see the answer on Wednesday. If Ozil doesn't play, I mean, it could could have been a slight injury. Um, it, It could be completely face value, but... I, I think, yeah, I, I kind of tend to think that if, if he plays on Wednesday, then it, it was, you know, resting him probably.
1: It's just so weird to me that a manager um, so long in the game and so long at the club still can't just come out and saying, I'm resting Mesut Ozil to keep him fresh because yeah, he looks like he we, needs a little I mean, I, yeah, I get yeah. that everyone which would is, have kittens over it, but, you know, why does he have to have excuses? You know, own your decision. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is why it could very well be that or it could very well be he has got... Exactly what it says—a slight knee knock. He knows that um, we're playing Chelsea on Wednesday, and, and you know he makes them. Des- and and that's—I'm fine with that. Um, I think perhaps that decision should have been made with someone like Lauren Koscielny as well. But um, there you go—he sees them every day, I guess, so he's got a better, a better idea of that than me. But um, yeah, I've, I've found the management of the squad um, quite quite peculiar. And, and if he just completely doesn't trust some of those players, then. He should be going into the market in January. If he if he doesn't think he can trust El Nenny or Coquelin against West Brom and Crystal Palace, then he needs to buy other midfielders or, you know, bring Ainsley Maitland Niles on in that position. Like, there's there's just no point in having them if they can't play, mm-hmm. even games like that.
1: Um. So so Paul, that then the question is, I mean, if if the team looks ponderous, and one really notable change is a Wobbi in and Ozil out, is as simple as. Iwobi is really scuffling right now. That his form is poor. That his play with Alexis often occupies similar positions. That I mean, that he's not fitting into this side in this formation right now. Or is it more than that?
2: Uh, well, I certainly think Iwobi is clearly off the boil by a long way. This this was a a really poor performance from him. Um, can't think what the extenuating circumstances for him are. He was poor in the last game, his game before that. Uh, I think it was actually pretty good, pretty lively. That's that's kind of two games away from here. But he, 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 you made a point about his development, and I'm not putting, pushing on this year. Um, and over the last couple of games, he seems to have slipped off that. So, it is a concern. I mean, he's right in that zone of is he good enough to be uh, a member of the squad and to contribute? And at the moment, he's a minus. Um, and he, you know, we should have got him off the pitch a lot of quick, quicker yesterday. I think, but we didn't seem to trust the other options. And you could certainly come up with a scenario why you'd play uh, Walcott or why you'd have got Welbeck on earlier. And even if Walcott's off and I saw his tweet yesterday, which had about seven pictures of him that somehow hark back to Southampton, Gareth Bale, Oxlade Chamberlain, all these kind of
1: anyone check Nike's website yet?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even subliminal links. So you know he's going somewhere, but uh, you know, we played Nasri once when he was going off hey, s- somewhere. Hey, we played Oxlade-Chamberlain
1: so. Chamberlain against the team he yeah. was going to. <laughs> so, you know, it, yeah, it can happen. Yeah, we've been right down that spectrum. Uh, having and having and said that, I think uh, Arsene Wenger would bite your hand off for that $30 million for Theo right now. And he's he's not going to jeopardize yeah. that. Look, I mean, you're right. Oobi should have come off sooner. The, you know, and look... I, I tweeted essentially that like the the, chas, the chasm between Mesut Ozil and Iwobi is immense. And I got some pushback that's like, well, it would be between Mesut Ozil and anyone, yada, yada, yada. All right, look. Yeah. This no. is the problem with overrating young players. Is Iwobi a, a talent with a huge future in the game? He may well be. Will he develop into a key member of this squad and someone that really performs at the highest level? He may well do that. But I think we underestimate... How big a leap forward it is between being a bright young talent and consistently being able to start for a team that has top four ambitions, if we indeed still have them. Um, I just it, it, it. I don't think he's at that level consistently. And I, it's not that he's not Mesodozo. I'm not asking him to be Mesodozo. Tim is choking on the, the terribleness of my takes. Um, I, I am not asking him to be Mesodozo. I'm asking him to be good enough to be starting for a team that wants to be in the top four. And I don't think he is that yet.
2: Um, and and yeah. when he pl- was playing so p- poorly, and when Alexis, and I was okay with this, apart from the fact we needed a second Alexis to be on the end of it, when he was dropping deeper to make stuff happen, um, and Iwobi wasn't really functioning on the right and wasn't giving us any width, and our two wingbacks weren't getting forward. You know, we would no width. Nobody got to the well, byline. Iwobi line. never we passes to them. Bellerin.
1: I don't understand what he's doing. He just ignores Hector.
2: Yeah, so... It wasn't working, and he wasn't playing well, and there should have been a change. And you know, at no stage did we use width in this game.
1: No, and we're Which, we're really short of pace. I mean, that's the other thing. You have two players that want to drift inside, Inuwobi and Alexis. Lacazette is not quite as quick as I had hoped he would be. We yeah. don't have wide forwards anymore. And the players that are out there just aren't that pacey. And, I mean, this is probably the slowest attack Arsenal have had. I mean, I, I guess Giroud was leading a slower one. But at that time, you had guys like Theo Walcott and Oxlade-Chamberlain burning down the wings. And we just don't have that. So, Tim, I mean, you can address the pace issue if you think that's a big part of it. I'm curious to also get your take on whether Owobi was a big reason for our sort of sterile possession and, and that sort of slow, pointless lateral passing.
3: Um, yeah, maybe. I, th- I think that's a little bit harsh actually. I, I, I thought Iwobi was just six, seven out of ten again. Really? I think okay. um Yeah, I th- I think basically he just doesn't have that end product yet. You're right, there's a there's a massive gap between, you know, a prime Ozil and a guy like Iwobi making his way in the game. That's that's really obvious. Um When and, he has time to is... think,
1: he's very Oxley chamberlain y or even Theo Walcott-y. I mean the longer he has to think, the less the horse's decision making seems to be.
3: I, I, yeah I, I don't know about that really I, I think it's just it's a young man who most most young players do don't develop end product until they're like even getting towards their mid-20s till they're about 23 years old you don't tend to get um, a great deal of end product and, and we're just playing against some park buses at the moment and he's just not quite at that level where he's developed his end product, um quite enough I think I think everything else is largely fine I think you know he passes the ball well he moves quite intelligently I thought he played much closer to to Bellerin than than Ozil ever does um, and I think that must have been by instruction it, it's just he can't quite find that you know that really precise through ball that would put Bellerin in um you know on the, on the kind of between the fullback and the center half he hasn't he hasn't quite got that pass yet um he did come closest to scoring for us as well um, on on a couple of occasions. Yeah. So to, to
1: be fair, he probably has to hit the target with that one uh, shot. I uh, mean, I'm not saying you have to score I, from there.
3: Yeah, I I, th- I thought harsh. again, it's it's just where he hasn't quite developed. He, he's basically he was going to the absolute postage stamp top corner when he possibly could have afforded to, you know, just have it in the top corner, as it were. But that that usually happens to players of that age. I, th- I think the thing is, it was you know. I think it goes back to what I said a couple of podcasts ago. He hasn't quite, he's not quite an 8 and he's not quite a 10 um, at the moment. And he's kind of, we're still kind of finding out what he is. And he's probably not going to be like an absolute bona fide number 10 until he's into his early to mid-20s. You know, there, There aren't many players that play that position at a younger age than that because they haven't developed that end product yet um so I, I think really he needs to be a secondary creator in a team is probably what i'm getting at rather than you know the prime like, rather than create it, the, like replacing meza ozil he probably needs to play you know with meza ozil as a kind of secondary a bit like well, the role resitski had would you know, it be like fair Rizitsky. to say
1: that that he would if you have to play him and you're losing meza ozil that maybe you have to play the back four and three in midfield and have an extra yeah, attacking yeah. body in there because there's so much responsibility on those two behind the striker in the back three because there's just yeah. not as many attacking options.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and also I think in, in this kind of setup as well, Iwobi, like you've got Wilshire there and then you've got Alexis there and it's kind of like what what's what's Iwobi's role here? What's he supposed to be adding? Because Jack has that kind of assurance in front of the defence and is able to, you know, transition us quite nicely from defence to attack and he's he's good with his ball security. So that's not Iwobi's role. And then, you know, Is is Alexis the primary creator? Is Iwobi or is Iwobi meant to be the right winger connecting with Bellerin? I just don't think the roles just don't look very well defined and Iwobi is not the only player that is suffering um, as a result of that. It just kind of looks a bit like let's just throw as many kind of midfielders that are technically secure as possible together and we we haven't got like a proper... You know, we just haven't got, like, proper roles and responsibilities for each of them. And, you know, the young players are always going to suffer the most um, for that. So, I mean... Uh- I, I don't really think he should be playing at the moment because this is just this is a bit of a mess of a team and nobody seems to know what they're supposed to be doing. And that's a good point. That, it's, it's not fair not... to put
1: a player in such a position of responsibility in a team that already yeah. has so much dysfunction and then ask him to be. Because if you look at that team that was out there against West Brom, who's going to score the goals? Alexis and Lacazette. Mm. Who's going to create the goals? Alexis, and that's it. Yeah, that's really yeah, yeah. it. And I mean, they, you know, so if Awoyi can't do those things yet. Fine if it's a back four and you've got an extra body in there that can contribute, but in that formation, he has to be able to do those things or you're going to look like we looked. And Mm. you know what I'm saying, Tim? Like, it's not so much that I'm picking on him by virtue of saying, like, he's the reason we struggled, but he's the reason we struggled in that that position in that formation has to have more end product.
2: I do think we could have used width, though, as more of a creative force, you know, because of what you said. Um, and Kolasinac and then Maitland-Niles and Bellerin, and I'm not blame, blaming the players, but there didn't seem to be any... You, you can see it when Iwobi has the ball and Bellerin's to one side to him. Neither one of them is thinking Bellerin should be getting in behind, and, and neither one of them is apparently being directed to do it, and the, the same is true on the other wing. At no stage are we kind of cutting that corner to get in behind and put pressure on them, as we've seen in other games.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is a flaw. Well, all right. So let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, uh, the the manager has some responsibility when it's going like that to make the change. And Kachelni picking up an injury, while terrible, was an opportunity for him to go for it a little more, right? To sure. reshape us to be a little more attacking. And instead, he goes like for like and brings Murdasakar on. Was that a wrong move? I mean, should he have? Should he have been looking to get on another attack? You know, a well back there, and just. Re- reshuffle the deck in, in defense to a back four?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it was definitely an opportunity. I, the The thing is, I mean, he, sh- he showed against Crystal Palace that he can make three of the back work. So it's kind of an execution thing. He still had the players on the pitch with Maitland-Niles and before that, Kolasinac and Bellerin to use the three of the back to push them further forward. But they just kind of stood uh, certainly that was an opportunity to do something different and to freshen it up to go with two at the back to get an extra midfielder in there, or an extra creative force, or maybe even better to get Walcott up on the wing to, to just sit there and make those runs to get in behind. Because if Alexis is going to drop deep and look for people to dink over the top to, uh, Theo might be perfect for that. So, um there were a number of missed opportunities, as far as I'm concerned. It
1: just seemed like at that stage in the game, with as stale as things had had been, you know, to say, "I'm going to stick with the back three and stick with what we're doing and go like for like and not really make a substantive change felt like a an odd decision, especially for a defender who maybe you wouldn't have that much confidence in anyway. Now, as it turns out, Murta didn't yep. have a whole hell of a lot to do. Um, you know, no,
2: it, I, I think you're absolutely right. It was a clear, flag to say well are we going to change things structurally here and the manager declined to do that
1: yeah yeah and and i think you know it was a missed opportunity and then you know just some of the substitutions feel so like for like i mean what i want arson to do with his yeah. substitutions is make changes that change the pattern of play not just change people right so bringing well on for a and having him play on the right isn't really a change it's a change in personnel, but it's not a change in approach. Um, And it's putting Welbeck in a position he doesn't really thrive in anyway. Um, Tim, I want to finish on this game with a couple of sort of quick hits, and one of them is Lacazette. Um, Mm. You know, again, Lacazette isn't doing anything wrong, per se, but we are now struggling to involve him. He's basically Mm. becoming Giroud, in a way, um, because we're not finding him running in behind. Um, You know, we're not getting any width and playing the ball back to him to sweep it in like we saw at times earlier in the season so like we're playing it to him with his back to go on the edge of the area and at that point like I'm not sure you know how much of an improvement he becomes over the option we had so do we need to use him differently does he need to start playing differently I mean what is what is the key to getting Lacazette going and I realize that I'm asking you a question that you know <laughs> maybe may above all our pay grades but if you were manager how do you get him going?
3: It's it's a really difficult one because again a lot of it's to do with what's going on behind him and whether people really know what their roles are. Um, I think a lot of it as well as we we're really struggling to get our wing backs in behind at the moment into that kind of corridor of opportunity, as it were, like on the byline. Um, you know, look at his goal against Everton, for example. That's that that's the sort of uh, goal we should really that we ideally I think want to be feeding him but we've just got so many kind of parts running around almost at random um, and we're, st- we're really struggling we're leaving Bellerin on his own and we're really struggling to get him to the byline um I thought it's worth I thought Lacazette's link-up play was actually very good
1: Oh I think um, he links think- up well I just you know it's not we're not yeah. using him in the ways I think you'd want to be ideally Yeah
3: and and in many ways it's kind of impossible when you've got like a Bus parked because you can't get him running in behind. There is no in behind. <laughs> They're all, you know, and, and in many respects, I think it's probably a bit frustrating for him because kind of what he's becoming is a bit of a decoy. So actually, what's happening is he's running around a lot, but it's to make space for others rather rather than for himself. And I think he's really isolated up there. And, he's um, so
1: isolated. Yeah, that's a huge.
3: Problem. I'm, I'm, and I think part of that is you know help. Getting getting Alexis to stay a bit closer to him, like he did at Palace, and you know, Lacazette almost was the decoy for Alexis at Crystal Palace, which which I think is fine. I think we need to just get a couple of players a bit closer to him. And if it's not going to be Alexis, then uh, I'm not going to say too much about this because I've actually written about something for this this week. But I really think that Walcott um, could have a role to play here in terms of giving us a little bit more of that end product, getting us to the byline a bit more, um, having someone else to try and occupy some defenders and make some space for, for Lacazette. And that becomes like a mutual arrangement when that starts happening. If you, you know, they could, they can make space for each other. So it might be Lacazette is double and triple marked and that leaves Walcott free. Or it might be that, you know, they that, that Walcott is double marked and it leaves Lacazette free. I, I just think at the moment there's a lot of, ball players um, some of whom don't necessarily always have that final ball and it's really really hard again to emphasize when the other team's got 10 players back that's natural it's just really difficult to get through and we don't quite have enough guile and um, you know I, I think Walcott would, would help Bellerin um, with C- that kind can of you combination quick question. Do, yeah yeah are,
1: are you I guess you're suppo- presupposing that Southampton will loan him back to us is that, <laughs> is that what you're expecting <laughs>
3: But, um, yeah, and and I think it kind of plays into Paul's point as well about actually creating some width um, can, can give you a bit of creativity as well. Because people think of creativity, they think of like Mesut Ozil, like playing like a, a wonderful through ball. But creativity comes in many forms. I actually think Welbeck did look quite promising when he shifted over to the left yeah. and he kept just running at players. Which actually, when you've got a tiring defence who's just sitting back, that can change it up for you sometimes. And, um, he, you know, he nearly got us a penalty in the last couple of minutes. There are a couple of times he got in down that, down our left hand side. Um, and it was almost a little bit Walcott esque. Um, it was just something a little bit different, a little bit more penetrative, and a little less ponderous. And,. You know, I, I hope I don't I don't think I'm just falling into the trap with Walcott of oh um, you know the Joel Campbell or the Lucas Perez like he's not playing we're not playing well ergo put him in and we'll play well I, I do genuinely think he could have a role to play doesn't have to be starting every single game but um, I'd have brought him on in this game and and I I think it could give us something something a little bit more interesting because we we've, we've got a lot of um there's a lot of chin stroking um. Going on at the moment in our build-up play, and and I think I think perhaps we could we could use something, um, perhaps a little less um, a little less considered, maybe for want of a better word. Fair
1: enough. I, yeah, I mean, I, all kidding aside, I mean, do you not think he's going, Theo? I
3: think I think I think he's almost certainly going. Yeah, the, the kind of the whispers seem very very strong, okay. and the fact that he's not bringing him off the bench. Even in games like this, I mean, says to me that um, he's almost being protected yeah. uh, for a sale.
1: Yeah, uh, Paul. Quickly on Mustafi. I, you know, he is our best ball-playing center half by some mm. distance. But I just cannot, cannot stand the way he plays defense. I can't. Like I, <laughs> I, I have such a hard time watching it. It 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 drives me nuts. And the way he dives in is just crazy. Um, and some of the decision-making when he dives in, I, I, I don't understand it. I, it may be, maybe it's cowardice because he doesn't want to have to get into a foot racer, he doesn't want to have to defend in his area. There was one time, I think it was sort of down the flank, and someone was running at him, and he went diving in with no chance to get it and left himself sprawling on the ground as they went running by. I mean, do you see that as a problem or am I just overly concerned with it? <laughs>
2: Uh, we're wired differently on, the, on certain things. This is one of them. I mean, don't get me wrong. When he has a brain fart moment every four or five games, I'm like, oh, oh oh dear, what what have I bought into here? But I think generally he's pretty damn good, and I think it suits our style, especially if we're playing three from the back, three at the back. Uh, you know, the, the only time I really, really hate it is when you have lumbering giants like West Brom lining in, up in the box for corners, etc., because our height differential across the team is massive. He's our, our central centre-back. It's going to be Koscielny. Uh, and, you know, Chambers isn't too bad, but we, don't, we just don't have any height, especially with no Giroud and no Mertesacker. But that's really the only part of it about it I don't like. Maybe in at the end of this season... Um, I'll see more of what you're talking about. But so far, I'm okay with him. I think he's smart, intelligent. Uh, him and Kishelny are very much on the same wavelength. They're proactive. They're front-footed. He's maybe not the mo- the best classic Tony Adams type of defender. But he gives you something. Given the way the game is played today, that defending is, is more about... Control of the game, and um, especially for a team like us, and possession and moving it around, um, being mobile, being proactive. Uh, I'll take those odds and I'll take that emphasis. So, fair enough. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Uh, just... I'm waiting for for the other shoe to drop on uh, on him. But no, it didn't bother me. But I mean, you had much more trouble with Gabriel than I ever did. I, quite, I, just, I still I like the quite cerebral, like,
1: like you know, in, intelligent, calm defender who doesn't inspire me with panic, and like these guys that just love going yeah. to ground and diving in and defending on the well, front foot.
2: That isn't that isn't Gabriel. I think Mustafi is pretty intelligent. You might you mightn't love all his decisions. Well, I don't but... think
1: the way he chooses to go to ground is intelligent. And, and look, I, <coughs> I, I I realize that a lot of people rate Mustafi, and that I might be in the minority here. And I do like the way he. He plays with the ball at his feet, and I think that is an important quality and one that we need. So I'm I'm more than willing to, you know, sort of tolerate some of the other stuff for but the time. But this being. feels
2: a little bit like you know when we got all wound up about Chaka and yellow cards, red cards, and cock, yellow cards, red cards. I think when you add it up, it ain't that bad. I mean, going to ground, getting to the ball first, as long as you execute it fine. I don't really have an issue with it. Also, the other thing is for a cent- for a center back, he's pretty damn young. What's yeah, he now 24. So, he's maturing he could be a hell of a center back at 26 and 27 and cut out almost all of those kind of the things I, rash moments.
1: I loved about the Mertesacker Kashelny partnership at its best is Mertesacker is a very precise tackler. He almost never yeah. goes to ground. He almost never fouls and he almost never picks up yellow cards. Um, in Kashelny you had the guy who would be a little riskier, a little more willing to dive in. And in Mertesacker, you had the organizer, the cerebral defender, the guy who was very precise with his tackling and stayed on his feet. And I just worry with... I mean, look, kashelny has matured tremendously, of course, but he still likes to dive in. He still plays right on the edge. Um, and Mustafi likes to also. And I, I worry about that as a partnership. Um, but maybe, you know, again, Mustafi will mature into making those decisions a little more intelligently. And also, he's not going to be playing with kashelny much longer anyway. Um, well, let, let's just do a quick uh, coda on this. I mean, it's a draw. Paul, stay with you just for a second. I mean... Are we nearing the point now where the the emphasis of the season has to switch to winning the Europa League, playing for the domestic cups, and pretty soon acknowledging that the league season is not going to bear fruit?
2: Yikes! Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by acknowledge it. If you I mean, I mean by acknowledge
1: ag- it in the sense that when the other games come around, whether it's you know FA yeah. Cup semi final in the League Cup, and certainly the Europa League, that you know you, you might have thought if we were right there for top four when Europa League comes around again, we might rotate heavily for the away leg in the Europa League. But, you know, sure. if we seem cut adrift from a top four race and it's increasingly drawing towards that, there may be no reason to rotate in the Europa League. It may be our best path to accomplishing anything.
2: Uh, well, I I understand and mostly agree with the premise of the question. I don't think you can, because at the end of the day, the Europa League is still going to be Six to one, seven to one, eight to one against us winning it, and those are just shit odds. We we might uh, be near.
1: I mean, if we lose to Chelsea, yeah, yeah. we might be no, nearing no, that for top four in the league. By the way. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, but if you raise the white flag on it, it probably torpedoes kind of both both sides of your boat. That's right. I mean, Cubs you look at look league, United
1: so. raised the white flag on their se- their domestic season to win the Europa League, and it paid off for them last season. Now, they did, I, you but know,
2: when did they do it?
1: No, I, I'm not saying do it yet. And by the way, that my point is like do you think we are closing in on the point where we will all have to kind of shake our head and say top four is probably gone?
2: Quietly, yeah. I mean, we, uh, this feels like a a team that's going to come sixth, not fifth or fourth. Well, I mean, the problem is there there are
1: five teams ahead of us in the table, and I think all five are better than us. So it's not yeah. just that we have to climb over teams. It's that I think we have to climb over teams that are better teams. Uh, Tim, I uh, mean, do you do you see it the same way that, that while it's not technically gone the combination of just where we are as a team, how we're playing the gap and the teams ahead of us, make it a long shot now?
3: Um, so I don't think we'll do it. But at the same time, I don't think the manager or the club can think like that. I mean, it's it's so important um, for reasons I've gone into again and again for us to get into the top four this year. That They can't, especially not at this point. At this point, it's not gone. Um, but but I, the
1: Europa League can, can achieve the yet. same thing, right? I mean, you can achieve the same thing via the Europa League. Yeah. That's exactly what United did. It
3: it could, um, but I think we've got a little while before we have to make that call. Um, we should be able to get through the Ostersunds game with the same sort of team that got us through the group stages. And, and at that point, you know, you're in mid-March and it's the quarter final and maybe you start thinking about that type of thing, depending on how far back you are. Um, But things in the league, I'm not saying they will or I think they will, but things in the league can change so, so quickly. They really can. Like a couple of games can just make all of the difference and completely change everything. And while that can still go in our favour, we absolutely can't um, give up on it. I think like with the Carabao Cup, for example, that's, you know, those semifinals, they're coming far too soon for us to make a decision about prioritizing i totally that, agree there I'd, I'd throw
1: that I'd, I'd throw the second team or third team out there that, yeah. yeah
3: yeah um with the europa league let's try and get through this round with with what we've got again and assess where we are in mid-march uh, like i say I, I don't think it's going to happen I, I think we'll probably finish sixth to be honest um you know we've we've really dropped some points recently and against some teams we really should be beating but um I just don't think the club can, can give up on it. When you know and I, I and I take your point about the teams above us look a bit better than us, but I think in two thousand and five, six, in about mid February, we were seventh and we were a long way from the top four and we were going through um the Champions League as well and we still did it. Um we still well, pulled wasn't it round. Wasn't it was Aston Villa we were
1: League chasing left. though? Like No,
3: that was Spurs. <laughs> Uh, that that was was for, Spurs. What's was the
1: Villa season I'm thinking of? A
3: couple of years later, it was okay. 08, 09. Yeah, we were chasing Spurs. But 5 06, I remember losing to West Ham at home in mid-February and we'd gone down to like 8th, I think. And everyone kind of said, well, that's it now. And then we put like um, a pretty decent winning run together. So while it's not out of the question, they, they cannot and should not give up on it.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I, and I'm not saying <clears throat> we should yet. I think my question is more your prediction on where you think we'll be by the time Europa comes around. Will we be in the position where, like, because
2: here's my my concern. You're you're just winding up the doomsday. Well,
1: I'm just getting the doomsday machine warm in case we need it. You know, it's been pretty cold (laughs) around here. Look, I, I think my point is simply this. What worries me is if we are close enough to top four to think we have a shot at it, we may rotate so much in the Europa League that we fuck that up. And... I just hope that by the time the Europa League comes around, there's some clarity. You know what I mean? Of of what the right approach is. Because while I agree, we can probably get past Ostersund's Ostersund's whatever that that team um, with rotation. Like I, I do think at some point we're going to have to decide if we're going to take the Europa League seriously and play the first team in it. And that decision is going to probably come the round after the round of 32. Because um, right, this is a 32 round, isn't it? The Ostersund's game. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. Well, let's finish with this. I, I know we're uh, hitting the hour mark here, but uh, I do want to just talk January very, very quickly. Paul, uh, let's look into the crystal ball.
0: Any mm. outgoings?
1: If so, whom? Any incomings? <laughs> if so, yeah. not necessarily whom, but where? What aspect of the pitch? What you know? Generally, what do you expect?
2: Yeah, my beloved Theo is definitely going based on yesterday's tweet. Yeah. It's well, just, no a, uh, just no way. We can do a postscript on
1: Theo. Mm-hmm. If if and when that happens.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm very nervous on Alexis. I mean, I've been saying all along he won't go this window, but Wenger's been very squirrely on those questions. Uh you think it and a I would city? say Oh. Uh when I when I looked at the way Pep said he wasn't coming, I uh, didn't quite use those words. I saw a lot of wiggle room with this sitting down and seeing what they need. And he's he's still very much an Arsenal player, i.e. Um, let, let's not upset anybody and make this any harder than it needs to be. And the fact that he was going on deadline day, to me, uh, and Pep's, you know, he's really going to go for this Champions League because he's got the league wrapped up. Uh, and And when you got the hot team, you got to go for it. I think they're going to dust off that deal. And the interesting thing will be what have we got coming in and if there's anything coming in and, and to be the other thing I would say is my concern would be that you bring in Mislin uh, Mislintat or whatever his name is and the Barcelona deal deal maker and they have no salary cap or squad space to work with. Um, I'm not necessarily talking about the January window. I'm talking about the next Two, three windows, and my fear is some combination of that, and some combination of the fact that arson is such a slow mover in the window. We kind It's almost like when we brought in Ozil and Sanchez, and then didn't build around them. When you bring in Mislin Tata and the other fellas, whose name I need to learn, um, and you he, don't. His, his use first them. name is
1: Raúl. If you want to just go with that,
2: Raúl. Oh, I like it, Raúl. Um, then. You know, you got to use them, and uh, they'll get frustrated just probably a lot quicker than uh, our other two erstwhile heroes if they don't get used. I would like to think that the Rolodex there is pretty good for Mislintast, um, but it goes cold quickly. So maybe he has the next Leon Goretzka in his file there. May You know, there's been Lamar noises about frustration. That didn't happen oh, God, last I, I
1: hope that doesn't happen. If we're paying I eighty or a hundred million for Thomas Lamar, then there was no point in getting Misland, Tat, and Raoul in the club.
2: Um, yeah, but uh, but just final summary: uh, uh, nervous on Alexis, but it must mean if they do something like that, somebody interesting and exciting must be coming in. But I I think it's a terrible idea from the point of view this season. I mean,
1: it, it's really hard to see us either finishing top four or winning the Europa League if we sell Alexis in January. But there you are. All right, Tim. Crystal Ball, I know you love talking transfers. It's arguably your favorite topic. When we first started this podcast, you said, can we just make it a transfer pod? Um, we declined. But here's your chance. Uh, who's going? Who's coming?
3: This and Mike Dean, uh, my favorite subjects. Yeah, re- ref- <clears throat>
1: referees, video assistant replay, and, uh, and
3: transfers.
2: Can't bloody shut them up about them. I know.
3: So I think that Theo Walcott will definitely go. Um, I think maybe, you know, someone like Debushi might go as well. Um, as for, I don't think Alexis uh, will go. Um, Ooh, I, I don't come. think that the club will, will countenance that um, at this stage or as um, for that matter. As for who's coming in, um, I think the club might try and sign maybe a midfielder, but I'm not sure how emphatic they'll be in that attempt i think they might look maybe for a central midfield player um but because he clearly doesn't trust coquelin or El um anymore but and and maybe like a backup right wing back or something like that um but how successful would be in those endeavors i don't really know i'm not sure how confident i am so i i think definitely theo will go definitely debouch well almost certainly debouchy um, and then we might get one in um, maybe towards the end of the window. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think basically they'll be receptive to bringing someone in. But, you know, there's a fine line between being receptive and, like, really going all out for it. And I, I just don't know where Arsenal will be on that spectrum.
1: Two two quick questions. One, if someone is Champions League cup tied, are they Europa League cup tied as well?
3: Um, I can't remember what the rule is. It's, it's something like I think you can bring in one player, um, okay. and they're not cup type, but not two, something like that.
1: And then um, if if a player signs on a Bosman, Bosman, whatever, uh, with a foreign club, we would we know that? I mean, d- does that become public information?
3: If, if they wanted to make it public, that I I think basically it wouldn't be up to us anymore. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, um, well, so. so Because for me, I think uh, certainly Theo is gone. I agree with you, Debushi will go. Um, I think that we maybe were going to sell Giroud. Um, I don't know what the injury means for that. Mm. Um, I think there's still a chance he goes. I'm 50-50 on whether Alexis goes. I think there's a chance Alexis goes and we try to smooth it out by announcing on the same day that Jack and Messet have both signed. Um, I could see those announcements being in the offing. I could see Messett potentially staying because I don't know where the demand for him is. I mean, who,
2: where's he going? United. United. Yeah, I think so as you well. I think he's
1: gone to United? Yikes.
2: Yeah. yeah. That makes if, if Jose him. could get him this, this Christmas, he'd get him. He so desperately needs that. Yeah, but.
1: Uh, I think Arsene Wenger would sooner let him sleep with his wife than have Mesut Ozil, but ex-wife um, ex-wife oh, yes. fair enough. yeah and, and it's you, on you know yeah, could <laughs> happen Um all right so don't listen to me I don't know the fuck I'm talking about but I, I just I, I can't decide because I think that there is a strong argument for selling Alexis and getting that cash in instead of losing those two big assets for free I think there's a strong argument for keeping him, recognizing that getting into the Champions League is arguably worth as much or more than the fee. I think if we were selling Theo and Giroud and collecting those funds, then you could tolerate not selling Ozil or Alexis. But uh, otherwise, I'm not sure you can. So we'll see. I mean, it should be an interesting January. The odds of it ending in our favor, I think, are long. I certainly don't see us bringing in anyone high profile in this window. Um, But... To me, I mean, more important even than signings, the manager just has to figure out how to get the team playing more effective attacking football against teams that defend deep. And I I like the back three for a lot of reasons, but I just don't know that we can continue with the back three against the park bus. I don't know. We'll see. Um, anybody got anything else? That good? No. We'll leave nah. it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it all feels like we're just sort of waiting at the the platform right now, waiting for for everything to happen because it's it's Chelsea midweek, so we will we will certainly uh, have a podcast after that. I mean, as as far as Chelsea goes, you guys, I mean, assuming Ozil is available, you think he'll go back to nominally our first choice eleven? You know, the the usual. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, depending on who's Shaka. available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's certainly asking a lot of Jack right now um yeah definitely and i i thought he looked a little leggy in this game so you know we'll see it's not a lot of recovery time for a player that hasn't been playing this much football lately or you know for a while so all right we'll come back with a podcast after chelsea it's a big big game i think you know it it can be season salvaging in a way because not only do we need the points but it can get us back on track after a period that's been pretty disappointing um so we'll see what happens there. We'll see if there are any major announcements and if there are we'll certainly try to cover them to the best of our ability. Uh, you can find Paul on Twitter at Pause my pants. Thanks pause. Tim actually has uh, another Twitter account that you should be following. It is at Mike Dean's attorney um, where he <laughs> uh, is just just re- regularly seen defending Mike Dean and referees in general. And Tim we, we want to thank you for doing that because it's you're doing the Lord's work there. Um, that
3: that's that's my pleasure, and and to be clear, there is a far and wide-ranging conspiracy against Arsenal Football Club, and everybody should devote all of their resources into uncovering and exposing it.
2: Well said, run Bravo. by some twelve-foot tall lizards.
1: Alternatively, you could just follow Tim on Twitter at StillBerto, uh, and look for his column coming out this week about Theo. I certainly will Uh, My name is Elliot Smith You can block me on Twitter At Yankee Gunner You can uh, send me abuse For the uh, intro to this pod At Yankee Gunner I certainly deserve it Give us a five star review Write nasty things About Clive and Scott Who presumably Will both be back After the Chelsea game And uh, we will hopefully Be breaking down A glorious return to form So uh, happy new year everybody We hope 2018 Is better than 2017 Which is basically A low enough bar That you can limbo under it Uh, Anyway we will talk to you After Arsenal 10 Chelsea nil. Cheers